Hello, this is Daniel Hines, one of the hosts of Stories RPG, and today we're bringing you the kind of origin of Max Goodname, one of the early Max Goodname stories, give you a little context for when that new episode of Star Sworn drops next Friday. So we get the new Star Sworn next Friday, here's a little Max Goodname tale, and um, yeah, you'll see some familiar characters come back next week. So enjoy this, and uh, yeah, we'll see you Friday for Star Sworn. Max Goodname and the Silent Knight Chapter 1. The House of Silence In the kingdom of Northend, far away from the royal court and the trappings of decent civilized folk, there was a great mine so deep and dark that no man had ever seen the end of it. On the surface, it didn't look like much, a natural opening in the rock wide enough for maybe ten dwarves marching side by side. But as you went deeper, it became a twisting mass of dark tunnels and side chambers that split off and snaked away in passages as complete and complex as the veins in your body. The miners who worked the caves, brave and hardy dwarves all, could be heard to say that no dwarf has ever known more than a tenth of the mine's secrets. The older and wiser among them knew that wasn't true. The truth, they said, to anyone who would listen, was that the mine was alive a predator powerful and cunning, and to try and learn her secrets was to be consumed, swallowed up in stone and darkness, and never heard from again. They were right, but not in the way they imagined. Our story starts in a deep recess of the mine, deeper than anyone has dared dig for hundreds of years. On the charts, the foreman marked it as the Great Western Boar, but the miners called it the House of Silence, because it was so deep no outside noise could reach it. So the sound of your breath was as loud as the sea breaking on the shore, and the beat of your heart was like the drums of war. The House of Silence was always worked in shifts of three, for safety, and the miners sang aloud as they worked, striving to keep the overpowering quiet at bay. When gold is hid in rocky bones, break the stones, break the stones. When darkness presses cold and damp, light the lamp, light the lamp. When the silence presses strong, sing a song, sing a song. When the bird falls from its flight, run for light, run for light. This last verse was more than just a simple rhyme. It was life-saving advice known to all the miners who worked in the House of Silence and other deep places. You see they would bring down a bright yellow canary with them, and if in their digging they hit a pocket of poison air, the bird would fall to the ground, and they would know to run for the surface and cleaner breathing. The three dwarves working now had forgotten their canary, or else, for better or worse, much would have been different. "'What's the time, Jack?' one of the miners asked, leaning on his pick and wiping the dirty sweat from his brow. The other two miners stopped working as Jack shook out a watch on a long silver chain from his pocket— it's pushing dinner time. You boys want to call it a day? Aye, and why not? Said the third miner, nudging the cart full of glittering gold ore that rested between them. It's a rich vein down here in the silence. No need to go hungry when there's plenty more to dig tomorrow. True enough, Jack said, and he turned and gave a mighty swing with his pick, meaning to stick it in the far wall and leave it for the night. But instead of sinking into solid stone, it punched through with a chunk, creating a fist-sized hole into a dark and unexpected room beyond. A strange whistling wind poured out of the gap, sounding like an angry voice over stone lips. It blew back Jack's hair and sent him staggering. By earth and stone, he yelled, struggling to be heard over the wind. Ernie, stay back from there. But his warning was ignored. The miner named Ernie was reaching into the hole Jack had made and pulling out more stone. In just a minute's work with hands and pick, he had widened the hole enough to crawl through. Ernie, that air could be bad, 
Jack said. Tell him, Cass! He looked plaintively at the third miner. Cass looked to Ernie, clearing the hole, then back to Jack and shrugged. But he pulled up his black bandana to cover his mouth and nose, just to be safe. Jack and Ernie did the same, and Ernie crawled into the strange, windy chamber, his lamp held out in front of him, casting a splashy yellow light. When he stood in the chamber, he suddenly felt very small. The light from his lamp, good bright oil, couldn't reach the ceiling or walls. The room he was in was simply too vast. It stretched in all directions like a great ballroom made of stone and wind and darkness. Jack and Cass came in behind him and gave gasps of amazement. By the king, Jack whispered softly, this is bigger than the great hall at the castle. Cass sniffed at the air and wrinkled his face. It doesn't smell right in here. We should come back with a canary. Jack nodded, seeing the sense in it. But Ernie was already moving forward into the darkness. His lamp seemed to grow dimmer as he went. Ernie, get back here, Jack called. But Ernie moved forward like he hadn't heard. Unknown to his friends, the dwarf had seen a strange red light at the end of the shadow, and it was calling him forward. Its sweet red song seemed to fill his mind and heart and stout dwarven body. Step by sturdy step, he moved towards it. As he approached, he saw that it wasn't a light at all but a raw ruby, bigger than his clenched fist, jagged and unfinished along the edges, and colored a deep red, a blood red. It was standing on a beautifully carved altar of black stone and held in place by slender tendrils of wrought iron. Look at that, Ernie said. The size, the color. It must be worth more than a hundred carts of gold. Jack stared raptly, but Cass looked around at the darkness stretching in every direction and felt a sudden fear in the pit of his stomach. He noticed that the most of the light in the chamber was coming from the crude hole they had entered from. Ernie's lamp was guttering and nearly extinguished. Ernie, your lamp, he said, but Ernie didn't hear him. He and Jack were both staring at the glowing red stone, their bodies filled with its red song, their faces splashed by its red light as they leaned in closer and closer, the light from the lamp growing dimmer and dimmer. Cass's eyes were beginning to adjust to the dark of the room, and he could see the edges now. There was no furniture of any kind apart from the altar and the glowing stone, but carved into the rock of the walls were statues of men, armed men, holding long swords and shields, each one bearing an identical face of blank white marble. Ernie and Jack, completely enthralled by the ruby, leaned in closer, and closer still, their faces pressing cheek to cheek, so close to the stone now that if it was a maiden at a ball, they could have stolen a kiss. Jack, Ernie, come on! Cass shouted. Jack shook his head as if waking from a dream and took a hasty step backwards, but Ernie was too far gone. The song of the ruby was filling him now. He felt it singing out from his bones and echoing wildly through his veins. It was part of him. A red song in a house of silence. Ernie reached out and laid his hand on top of the ruby. And that's when everything went bad. The stone flared brighter and the glow spread up Ernie's hand and arm and covered his body with its blood-red light. Ernie! Ernie! cried Cass. But when Ernie turned to look, he barely looked like himself. His dark hair and thick dwarven beard had changed to pure white, and his eyes showed no iris or pupil. Nothing but blank slates of ruby red. A crimson light seemed to spill from them and hang around his head like a fog. Oh, no. Oh, earth and stone, said Cass, stumbling backwards and away. Jack, Jack, we have to go. This isn't right. Jack didn't move a muscle. He simply stared at Ernie, or what once had been Ernie, with a look of pure fear on his face. Ernie reached out a hand, and Jack slid forward into his grip. Tell me, 
Ernie said in a voice that wasn't his own, a voice that sounded like it caused him great pain to speak. Where am I? When am I? Jack sputtered and tried to pull away, but he was held fast by Ernie's glowing fist. Ernie, he said, your eyes, your skin, what sorcery is this? You dare question me? Ernie roared, and he threw Jack across the room like he weighed no more than an empty tankard. He turned and placed his hands on the ruby once more, and it seemed to pulse with recognition when he touched it. Arise, my servants, Ernie said in that strange and painful voice. The silent night has come again. Rise, rise. And he let loose a long burst of laughter as the stone soldiers that lined the walls began to grind into motion. A foot here, an arm there, then all at once, pulling themselves into action, lifting their stone arms, saluting what once was Ernie. Cass slipped through the hole they had entered from, and then pushed their cart of gold in front of the opening to block it. Red lights spilling through the gaps, terrible, painful laughter spilling through the gaps. Cass turned and ran, the light and laughter hounding at his heels. Chapter 2 The King's Court you see, your grace, if you grant my guild the license to put these prisoners to work, the kingdom would benefit in the following ways. The voice droned on and on. Max Goodname, knight, and would-be hero, could barely keep his eyes open for boredom. He was seated at the rear of the great hall, listening to members of different guilds pitch the king their proposals. The king sat on a magnificent throne of gilded wood, painstakingly inscribed with the names of all the kings who'd sat in it before him, and raised on a platform ten feet high. The guild members stood on the ground below him, pleading their cases. Max and the rest of the court, an odd mix of lords and ladies and masters, sat in wooden benches at the back of the hall, watching. Most were there to see and be seen, to prove that they were welcome in the king's presence, and thus important. Max was there at Wallace Q. Wallace's suggestion. The ropey wizard thought Max painfully ignorant about matters of state, and even though he was right, it didn't make the proceedings any less boring. Wallace was sitting next to Max and looked just as bored as Max felt, which made Max feel a little better, though he couldn't have said why. The guild member was launching into point 21 of his 142-point plan when the doors of the throne room burst open with a bang. The guards on the door spun with their spears at the ready, but it was a king's herald, followed by a pale and haggard-looking dwarf. "'What is the meaning of this?' said the king, his eyebrows coming together like clouds before a storm. His eyes fell on the herald. "'Augustus, I trust this interruption has an explanation.' The herald seemed to shrink under the king's gaze. He stuttered and stammered, but couldn't seem to find his tongue. Instead, it was the dwarf who came forward. Your royal grace, my name is Cass. I come with grave news from the western mines. There's been an attack. The crowd burst into a muttering, then clamoring roar. The royal guards beat the butts of their spears on the ground until order was restored. An attack? said the king in a suspicious tone. His eyes wandered over the dwarf, obviously critical of his dirty and ripped leather mining clothes, and the ugly sledgehammer slung across his back. If there had been an attack on the kingdom, how is it I've heard nothing from our outposts, from our scouts, from our knight-errant on our soldiers in the field? How is it, Cass, that a dwarf from the western mines is the first to reach me? Max watched nervously. The western mines were deep in the kingdom of Middale, 
for an army to reach them unseen would be impossible. Then again, Max would have said a giant basilisk in the king's own forest was impossible as well if he hadn't slayed one but a month ago. Cass reddened, uncomfortable. The attack came from within the mine, your grace. There was a ruby buried in a room in the western bore, deep, deep, deeper than we've dug since my father's father's time. Ernie, my friend, he touched it, the ruby, and he set it aglow. He threw our other friend clear across the room, and then he woke an army from the stones. He called himself the Silent Knight. The king sighed and shook his head. Other members of the court tried to stifle laughs and mostly succeeded. Wallace created an illusion on Max's knee, small so only Max could see. It was of the dwarf running from shadows in the dark, a cowardly expression on his face. Max couldn't help it. He laughed aloud. The king shot him a dark look. Max gulped and clapped his hands over his mouth. A stone army, a glowing ruby. I can't spare soldiers for rumors. There is bad deep air in those mines. All know it. Tell me, did you have a canary with you when this attack occurred? The dwarf blushed a furious red. No, your majesty, but... The king cut him off with a slice of his hand. Bad air, then, I'd say. Bad air and bad dreams. But since you've come all this way, I won't send you home with nothing to show for it. The king turned to Max and Wallace. Since the brave Sir Goodname and his magical friend, Mr. Wallace, think the threat of an attack is so funny, seems they may be just the men to investigate this disturbance. You'll take the pair of them and depart at first light tomorrow. The dwarf looked at Max and Wallace, his face full of open rage. He turned back to the king. I ask for aid and you give me a boy and a conjurer? They're green as an emerald. The mine is under attack, I say. I need soldiers, wizards, clerics. Keep your children. The king's expression darkened. His voice took on a hard edge. I won't be questioned. Not in my own throne room. Not anywhere. He gestured to Max and Wallace. Sir Goodname, tell the dwarf of your deeds. Max rose, embarrassed. Well, we won the great squire's tournament, and I earned my knighthood at the king's own hand. And we defeated a basilisk in the great northern woods. Cast spit. You won a tournament of kids and killed a snake, you mean. He turned back to the king. Pardon, your highness, but this is a serious threat and we need serious... Hey, hey! Cass had looked down and noticed he appeared to be wearing nothing but a pair of bright polka-dotted underwear. Everyone laughed. Even the king smiled. Wallace, that's enough. The wizard mumbled an apology and dropped the illusion. Good sword dwarf, you'll take my knight and my wizard and you'll show them to the mine. You may not like it, but I know Max and Wallace will show you their worth. And if you dare question me again, you'll spend the next year in a dungeon learning some manners. Are we clear? Yes, your highness. Cass said, humbled. Now is there anything else, my boy? I need, I mean, if it please you, your grace, I could use a cleric as well. If it's bad air, as you say, my friends have been down there a long time, days. And it'll be days more before we return. They'll need healing, your grace. The king smiled. I know just the one. Now, Sir Goodname, please take Cass and Wallace to your rooms and pack what you need. You leave at first light. Chapter 3. Songs on the Road Max rode easily, one hand holding the horse's reins and the other passing a skin of sweet juice back and forth with Wallace. They were two days on the trail and expected to reach High Mendwell, the castle of the clerics, by nightfall. You think we should offer him a sip? Said Max to Wallace, nodding at the dwarf riding a dozen or so yards ahead of them. 
Cass had scarcely said a word since the trio had left the castle, preferring to brood in silence and fidget with his horse's stirrups, trying to get them to more comfortably fit his short, tree-trunk-thick legs. Nah, he's so sour he'd probably turn the juice bad. Better just leave him be, buddy. But Max couldn't take his companion's silence any longer. He spurred ahead and pulled his horse alongside the dwarfs. Bit of juice, friend? Max said, offering out the skin. Juices for children. Oh, earth and stone. I've been given children. All right, fine, said Max, and he pulled his horse in front of Cass's, forcing the dwarf to stop short and nearly spilling him to the ground. You think I'm a child? He pulled his shield onto his arm, not the silver one from the northern forest. He'd returned that to its keepers. But his heavy oaken shield, painted with the sword and crossed wands he'd taken for his knightly crest. Max slid off his horse and walked a few feet away before drawing Parlo's old sword. The grip was wrapped with pink-dyed leather, worn almost to white, but the blade was clean and shining and freshly sharpened. Obviously, you don't think much of me, but I won't be insulted. I'm a knight by the king's own hand, and I did slay a basilisk, whether you believe it or not. You wanted an army, but you got us, and you don't have to like it. But call me a child again, and I'll cut your saddle off, and you can walk the rest of the way to Mendwell on those tree trunks you call legs. Cass looked at Max, and Max looked back, heart in his throat. Sure, Cass was short, but Max didn't have any illusions about how strong and tough the dwarf was, nor did he doubt that the dwarf would be a nightmare with that heavy, well-worn sledgehammer he carried on his back. The moment stretched, flickering and uncertain as a freshly lit wick, but finally the dwarf exploded in a rough laughter. Put up your sword, good knight, Cass said with a smile. Not a child, I see that now, thank you. Thank you for the rough words, they're what I needed. Max sheathed his sword and remounted his horse, confused. Believe me or not, there's dark magic at work in the mines. I fear I've lost my friends for good, and it's turned me into a rock-stubborn fool like my own father used to be. He took the skin of juice from Max and took a long sip. A basilisk is no trifling thing, and I hear you rode armorless against Glendon Glaive and Reynard Roan, fierce fighters both. Is that true? Wallace had pulled up alongside them, and he leaned in his saddle to clap Max on the back. It's true. I illusioned him some armor, and he knocked the fierceness right out of those two. Cass grinned, but still he looked troubled. I hope the armor you're wearing now is real, sir, good name. It's no bad air we're facing down there in the House of Silence. There's some strange magic at work. Dark magic, and I fear steel alone won't be enough to face it. Call me Max, and don't worry. Wallace is an amazing wizard and Corley is the best young healer in the realm. Between the four of us, we'll figure out how to stop whatever's going on. Plus, at High Mendwell, there'll be lore mothers. Not just one, but a dozen. Maybe one of them will have heard of this ruby or the silent knight you mentioned. Mm, Maybe so. For now, though, I'd like not to think about it. It's like a rock in my guts. Do either of you know a good traveling song to pass the time? Wallace shook his head. Nothing in the common tongue, but I know a goblin song that would make a cleric faint. Cass laughed. Let's hear it, then. Wallace cleared his throat and then barked out a guttural, Max laughed. (laughs) That's the worst thing I've ever heard. Well, said Wallace with a shrug, Goblin isn't exactly a musical language. You have anything better? Anything would be better than that. Well, there's a song Parlo used to sing when we were riding. But I'm not sure it's any good. After that goblin drivel, two ogres fighting would sound sweet. Let's hear it. 
I've got a pony, his name's Baloney, his hooves go clippity-cloppity-clack. And when you see my pony and me, careful, cause this baloney bites back. Wallace broke into a fit of laughter, and even Cass smiled. Wizard, I'm sorry. Turns out there are songs worse than Goblin after all. They laughed again, Max joining in. All right, then. If you don't like our songs, you sing one. Give us some dwarven music. Cass straightened up in the saddle. All right, here's my favorite. Though it sounds better with a rock pick keeping time and a cave for echoes, I'll promise you. Deep down in the mines, the hungry dwarf he finds. Not a fruit or not door tree, but the gold to buy all three. Deep down in the earth, our mother stone gives birth. Not to pup or calf or foal, but golden rock and inky coal. Deep down in the dark, down where shadow fights each spark. Endless battle waged on day, but the light will find a way. But the light will find a way. All right, you win. We're a team now. Win or lose, we'll do it together. They rode on to the castle, side by side, together. Chapter 4, Broken Love, Silent Night Max Goodname! It was Corley, running across the castle's drawbridge, white robes flapping about her heels. Max swung down from the saddle and caught her in a rough hug, though he was careful not to pinch her against his armor. The king sent us a messenger bird telling us you'd be coming. There's to be a meal in your honor. You can even bring your scruffy-looking friends if you want, she said, shooting Wallace and Cass a wide, teasing grin. Max introduced Corley to Cass. Corley was gracious as ever, but Cass barely seemed to care. His eyes flicked over everything, suspicious. His body seemed tense and impatient. Max knew he should probably feel the same way, but Corley always had a calming effect on him. One look at her beaming smile made his stomach feel all swirly and strange. He looked away from the cleric and tried to focus on his surroundings instead. The castle of High Mendwell was more beautiful than Max could have imagined. The walls were a hundred feet tall, made of pure white stone and capped with gold merlons. In place of gargoyles, the battlements were guarded by angelic-looking men and women, all smiling, all with golden hands. They're the clerics of old, famous ones, said Corley when Max asked about them. The golden hands stand for healing touch. There's no higher honor. Max remembered Corley, all stone from the basilisk's glare, and had to fight down a shudder. And here's the university, Corley said, gesturing to a four-story-high wing of the castle, white-robed figures entering and exiting by the dozen. That's where I've been spending most of my time. After the incident with the basilisk, the masters decided that I really need more training if I'm going to be questing with unsavory characters. She shot Max and Wallace another impish grin. I'm savory as a beef stew, said Wallace, but nobody paid him any attention. I'm sorry, Corley, but we don't really have time for a tour, or a meal for that matter, said Cass. We need to get back to the mines, for all I know, the stone army has already taken them over. Corley stopped, looking from Cass to Max. The letter from the king said it was bad air. (sighs) That's what he thinks, but I think there's more to it. I've been riding with Cass, and I believe him. Let me ask, have you ever heard of a cursed ruby, or someone called the Silent Knight? Corley shook her head. 
No, but I've only just started my history and lore lessons. A Lord Mother would know more. Let's go see Lord Mother Wins. She might know. Wins. That's a dwarven name. So it is, and so is she. Come quick, her class just let out. Maybe we can catch her before she goes. Corley turned and led them into the university building. It was broken up into small rooms, just big enough for a desk and chair alternated with great stadium-style lecture halls, big enough to seat 200. The benches tiered so that each row could see clearly over the row in front of them. Other rooms had padlock doors, and a few were full of strange glass instruments that meant nothing to Max, though Wallace Q. Wallace had a hungry gleam in his eye. As they walked, they got a lot of strange looks. Most of the clerics were women, and all were wearing the flowing white and silver robes of their order. The three armed and armored men stood out like a dragon at a ball. Finally, Corley ushered them into one of the sprawling lecture halls. It was empty except for a white-robed dwarf with flowing copper hair, shuffling papers from a podium into a leather folder. Mother wins, said Corley, as they descended the steps. These are the questers sent from the king. They are in need of your wisdom. Mother Wins looked up from her papers. She had a spray of red freckles across her cheeks, and her glasses sat a little askew on her crooked nose. Questers from the king, she said, turning and seating herself on a table behind the podium. What is it you're looking for? Hmm. Mother, we seek a song of truth, sung by Faith's own voice. Mother Wins smiled and gave a merry little laugh. So someone has done this before, I see. Maybe you're not so young as you look. She turned to Cass then, and said something in Dwarvish. Cass blushed and replied in kind. Very well, said Mother Winds, in the common tongue once more. Who will stand for these outsiders? I, Corleanders, will stand for them. By skin and stone, by blood and bone, I do swear their virtue. Then by skin and stone and blood and bone, let us sing to them. What song would you hear, my brave boys? We seek a blood-red ruby, and the silent night... All the humor vanished from the lore mother's face. Go close the door, child. The rest of you, please sit. Once that was done, Mother Winds took her position behind the podium, as if she were teaching a class. Max, Wallace, and Cass sprawled across the benches. Corley sat at prim attention. The king doesn't know what he asks of you. I beg, forget this song and return to him. Come back with an army, and maybe then we will sing it. That seemed a fine idea to Max, but Cass shook his head. Mother, please, my friend touched the stone. Whatever the silent night is, it is in him now. There's no time to be going to and fro, castle to castle. That mine is full of dwarves, full of your kin and mine, and we are who the king has sent. Please, sing us the song and let us ride. Send a bird to the king if you must, but we cannot afford to delay. The silent night, loose in a mind full of our kin. These are dark days, and growing darker still. I will sing you this song, and I cannot stop you from writing, but I'll ask you leave Corley behind. This is too much for her and too soon. Fine. Good. No. Mother, these are my friends. If they're going, so am I. I know you wish to protect me, all of you, but it's my job to seek the cures for dangerous magics, and I wear the white robes of a master. The king gave them to you too young. He gave them to me is what matters. I'm going to the mines. Now please, sing us the song. The lore mother looked at each of them in turn, eyes sad. Very well. If you insist on this folly, let me sing the thrice darn song. And then she sung. There once was a knight known far and wide for his singing voice, lovely as a bride. 
all warm and smooth as golden mead, sweet to hear and pure of deed. With his honeyed tongue he won the love of a fair princess born high above, of a fair princess born high above. She wasn't kind but was a beauty, so they married, swore by death and duty, but death came sooner than they dreamed. The bride grew sick, and soon it seemed she would soon surely pass away to memories mist, to dirt and clay, to memories mist, to dirt and clay. So the knight went to an old woods witch of darkest power thrall to a lit, and begged her to please heal his wife in trade offering his very life. The witch said, Well, I've made my choice. Keep your life, I'll have your voice. Keep your life, I'll have your voice. And with her spells all darkly sung, she stole the knight's famed honey tongue. From that day on his voice did rasp, a pain to hear, a pain to grasp. But the witch kept up, kept up her end. The princess soon began to mend. The princess soon began to mend. But when once healed his voice she heard, all raspy cold, the words all slurred. No longer could she love the knight, who had won her heart with song so bright. So she left and left him all alone. His love turned sour, his heart turned stone. His love turned sour, his heart turned stone. He went to the woods and slew the witch, and gained her power, became a lich, an undead demon with magic black, who never spoke except to attack. He conjured an army of silent stone, their faces pale of marble shone, their faces pale of marble shone. And he smashed the castle of his once wife, and would have taken to her very life. But the ancient wizard's goodly folk came together and did invoke a mighty spell with a ruby bright to imprison strong the silent night, to imprison strong the silent night. They took the gem and buried it deep, for its secrets dark the earth to keep. But one day it may be unearthed, the evil held once more rebirthed. And when that day shall come to pass, spare the vessel but bright stone lash, and not with steel or iron blade, but with a song and witch's wand, and words that once the gods forbade, words that once the gods forbade. The song faded away, but it was a long time before anyone dared to break the silence it left behind. Chapter 5 with a song and witch's wand. The courtyard of High Mendwell was crowded with clerics going about their business and merchants hawking their wares, so the five questers met up in the stables near the lesser-used rear gate. All right, does everybody know the plan? Cass shrugged his heavy shoulders, eager to be going. Aye, me and mother will go gather the western dwarves, the ones who made it free of the mines. By the time you get the witch's wand in return, we'll be ready. Dawn, two days from now, at the entrance to the mines. Yeah, and try not to get into any trouble without us, said Wallace. Max gets all grumpy if he misses a fight. 
"'We'll be careful,' said Mother Winds. "'Corley, you take care of the boys. "'There's nothing so dangerous as a pair of boys on an adventure. "'I swear it leaks the wits right from their heads.' "'I'll watch them, Mother. "'Worst comes to worst, I'll plug up their ears. "'That should keep their wits in check.' "'Their noses, too,' Mother Winds said with a wink. "'Cass helped her onto her small white pony "'and then mounted his own horse. Two days at dawn.' "'Aye, two days,' replied Cass. "'Then he gruffly stuck out a hand in front of him. "'Good luck, sir, good name.' Mac shook the dwarf's hand. You too, Cass. Corley stepped next to Mother Wind's pony and gave the dwarf a hug. Mother, I know we need the wand, but what about the words? The words that once the gods forbade. How can we stop the silent night if we don't know them? Mother Wind's only smiled and patted Corley's hand. I don't know, child, but trust me, they will come when needed. Just get the wand and try not be late. I will, Mother. Good luck, you two. Cass nodded and then spurred his horse through the gate and onto the great western road beyond, leading the mother's pony behind him. Well, I guess we better go too, said Max as he climbed into the saddle. Come on, good speed. Good speed? asked Corley. She was astride a gentle white mare that matched her robes. It's why he named his horse, said Wallace, rolling his eyes and swatting at his own horse as it tried to eat a mouthful of robes. Corley laughed and Max flushed. Okay, so I'm not good at naming things. Next time I get a new horse, I'll let you name it. It'll probably end up with some 15-syllable-long goblin name that'll melt your hair when I say it. But at least you'll be quiet for once. Corley laughed again. What is your horse's name, Wallace? I call him Gluey. That's a terrible name for a horse. Yeah, well, he's a pretty terrible horse, said Wallace, pulling his robes from the horse's mouth again and swinging into the saddle. Now, are we going to talk about horses all day, or are we going to go steal a wand from a haunted house? I wouldn't say we're stealing it, said Max, uncomfortable with the idea. No one has lived there for hundreds of years. Are we asking permission? No. And are we going to bring it back after we're done? Well, no. Then it's stealing, Max. But since we're stealing from a witch to save the kingdom, I think the king will forgive us this once. You boys are ridiculous, Corley said, and set out through the high Mendwell gates at a trot. Max and Wallace fell into line behind her. They rode hard all that day and reached the edge of a great sinking swamp at sunset. The trees were gnarled, rotten, and bent over like they were hiding dark secrets. The water was still and stagnant, and the air was thick with blood flies, their fat gray bodies and needle mounts weaving from limb to limb. The three slid off their horses and tethered them to a tree. The ground was too soft for the heavy animals. Ugh, said Max, pulling on his helmet to keep the bugs from his face. Are we sure this is the place? Corley and Wallace were looking at a map together under the smooth yellow light of the wizard's glowing wand. Looks like, but there's a spell in the cottage to keep people away. But Mother Wind said it's only an illusion. That's right, said Wallace, rolling up the sleeves of his voluminous blue robes. But luckily, you have Wallace Q. Wallace, wizard at large and master of illusion. Stand back and watch me work. Wallace muttered some strange words under his breath and flourished his wand like a dowser looking for water. It swung back and forth along the line of the swamp, occasionally twitching or dipping lightly. I can feel it. It's a powerful illusion, he said, sweat standing out on his brow. As Wallace searched for the edge of the illusion, a fat bullfrog hopped out of the trees and looked up at Max with bulging eyes. Turn back, it croaked. Turn back, turn back. Max jumped, grabbing Corley's sleeve. Did you hear that? That frog just talked to me. Corley nodded, face pale. The witch left her mark on this place. The animals have been exposed to the lingering bits of her magic. 
and they remember. Oh, I wish they'd be quiet about it. Aha! cried Wallace, his wand nearly jerked from his hand. And here we have it! A mist of light began to pour from Wallace's wand, like smoke drawn through a chimney. It pooled and pushed against the edge of the swamp, until the trees and stagnant water flickered, and then, in the blink of an eye, the illusion dropped. The swamp was still there, but a minute before, where only deadfalls and black water stood, there was now a high, clean path heading straight through it all. A league or so away, Max thought he could spy the crumbling ruins of the witch's cottage. "'After you, almighty hero,' Wallace said with a mocking bow. Max scowled, but he drew Parlo's old sword and stared down the path. A raven on a branch above him quirked. "'Turn back! Turn back!' Max wondered if he shouldn't listen to the bird. After all, he'd only been a knight for a few months, and though he didn't know exactly how old he was, he knew he was barely a teenager. Surely if the king had known that the silent knight was real, he would have sent Sir Hugh, or one of his other household knights of good repute. But he didn't, thought Max. He sent me, and I won't let him down. Sword at the ready, Max walked towards the cottage. Corley fell in behind him with Wallace in the back, wand at the ready. All around them, the animals quirked and croaked and hissed, Turn back! Turn back! Turn back! Turn back! Turn back! The cottage was little more than a skeleton. The thatch roof had burned to nothing. The stone walls were sagging like melted candles, held up by nothing more than the creeping, evil-looking ivy that covered the structure. It smelled wrong, worse than the swamp around it, even. Max pushed past a rotting wooden door and into the room beyond. Who dare enters the house of the witch? Max was so scared he flinched backwards and nearly dropped his sword. Who dare disturb the eternal sleep of Marnie the Great, Marnie the Terrible, Marnie the Witch over the Wood? Max. Max Goodname. Max Goodname? What kind of name is that? The voice seemed to come from everywhere and nowhere. Inside the ruined cottage, Max could see nothing but more ruined cottage. What kind of a name is Marnie for a witch? yelled Wallace. I had an aunt named Marnie. Made great cookies. Not such a good hand at spells, though. Wallace, please don't tease the ancient evil. A young wizard. Don't bother denying it. I can taste the magic on you. You'll make an excellent servant. We're not here to serve. We're here for your wand. You dare ask for my wand? The wind began to blow, sending clouds of dust swirling through the air. Stronger and stronger it came, picking up chunks of rubble and hurling them through the air. Max blocked a brick with his shield, and Corley ducked just in time to dodge another. The Silent Knight has returned, said Corley, shouting to be heard over the whipping gale. The Silent Knight who destroyed your body all those years ago. The old wizards have moved on, and we need your wand to trap him once more. The wind died. The voices died. The air in the cottage was still and heavy. The Silent Knight... I gave him a princess in exchange for a voice, and in return he ended me. He stole my life from me. I can't give you your life back, but give us the wand, and I swear, we can give you vengeance. The witch's voice didn't answer. The silence stretched out like iron, hot from the forge. Finally, when they had all but given up hope, a raven flew down and landed on Max's shoulder. In its beak was a smooth, straight wand of ebony. The bird dropped the wand into Max's hands and quirked out loud. Vengeance! 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 All the other animals joined their voices to the ravens. The forest was suddenly alive and ringing with the cry. Vengeance! Chapter 6. The Battle for the Western Mine 
Cass squinted up at the sun. It was above the horizon now, its golden light shining on the armor of the twenty or so dwarves that had managed to escape the mine. <sighs> They're late, he growled, slapping the heavy end of his sledgehammer into his gauntleted palm. Be patient, Cass, said Mother Winds. The mother wore no armor but the white robes of the clerics, though she had pulled back her molten copper hair and secured it with a golden ring. They'll be here soon. It's barely past dawn. Cass grumbled and scuffed his boot into the pine-needled littered earth. They'd been sitting there all night, in the woods near the entrance to the mine. Cass and his ragged army. The bulk of the dwarves were still trapped underground, locked and chained into a large mess hall they had used for meals when they didn't want to make the trip to the surface. From their camp, they could see a dozen of the silent night soldiers, each one still in stone, their blank marble faces revealing nothing. They stood like gargoyles at the mouth of the mine, watching, waiting, guarding. They've got our kin down there, said Cass, after another agonizing sixty seconds or so had stretched by. I'm giving them five more minutes, and then we're going in. There was a rough grumble of agreement from other dwarves. All were clad in mismatched bits of armor they had donned during their hasty retreat from the silent knight and his stone soldiers. Some had battle axes and war hammers, but most had no more than the picks and sledgehammers they had been working with down in the stone. A raven flew overhead, its inky black feathers stark against the morning sun. Vengeance! It quirked. Vengeance! A moment later, Spitstone, the dwarf cast had assigned to watch the northern trail, pushed into their little clearing, Max and the crew following behind. Uh, it's about time you got here, said Cass by way of greeting. Did you get the wand? Wallace patted the folds of his baggy blue wizard robes. Does an owlbear eat in the woods? Is this all the dwarves you have? Cass smiled. <laughs> have you ever seen a dwarf fight, boy? I saw one wrestling with a keg once. We dwarves are fierce fighters. Been the greatest stone workers in all of Northend and beyond. Spitstone laughed and spit onto the ground. Aye, fierce dwarf foes and masters of stone, so these stone foes are no problem for us. It's the Silent Knight that needs handling. You leave the Silent Knight to us, said Max. Just clear us a path. Aye, are we ready now? said Cass, twisting his hands on the hammer's grip. Max glanced around and realized Cass was looking to him. In fact, everyone was looking to him, waiting for him to give the order. The pressure was almost enough to make Max miss the days of sleeping by the side of the road with Parlo. At least then, there was no one to let down if you messed up. No friends to get hurt by an evil renegade knight turned dark wizard. Let's do it. Mother Wince, you protect the dwarves as best you can. Cass, call the charge. Cass turned to Spitstone. Brother, sound that horn. Spitstone spat and raised his watchman's horn, a black twisting thing from some giant mountain goat. He put it to his lips and blew a mighty blast one that shook the trees and sent birds fleeing into the sky. The dwarves bellowed and charged and crashed through the stone soldiers like a hammer through chalk. Max waded through the battle, his sword not much use against the stone foes. He tried to keep an eye on both Corley and Wallace Q. Wallace, but that left no eyes for himself, and soon a stone sword hit him high on the helmet, ringing his head like a bell. After that, he paid more attention, following Cass through the battle with his shield at the ready. Once inside the mine, Spitstone led a group of five dwarves down a narrow, crooked chamber, and soon came the sounds of stone and steel from his direction. When he emerged a minute later, spitting into the rocky ground, he had another fifty dwarves at his back. "'Figured we could use some help, so I sprung these ins from the mess hall,' he called out, giving Max a gap-toothed grin. 
The dwarves picked up the stone swords of the fallen enemies and joined the battle. Quick now, our way is down and down, said Cass. He led them through another tunnel, away from the fighting. Soon the sounds of the battle were nothing more than ghostly echoes following them down the tunnels. Wallace lit the way with his wand, but even still the darkness seemed to press in, close and heavy. We're nearly at the boar track. Just past the bend, it goes straight to the House of Silence. They came around the corner and Max saw the tracks, an empty minecart poised to roll. He had a second to be thankful, and then six stone soldiers detached themselves from the darkness and came at them, swords raised. Get in the cart, now! hollered Cass, catching a stone sword on the haft of his hammer and turning it aside. Corley and Wallace dove into the minecart just ahead of the limbering statues. Max turned to buy them time. With his old sword, he carried a clumsy cut from a stone soldier, caught a second on his shield, and let a third bounce off the thickest part of his chest plate. Then, with all his strength, he bowled into the nearest soldier with his shield and sent it staggering back. Cass finished the job with his mighty sledge, catching the stumbling foe clean in the chest and crumbling him into a dozen pieces. Max watched in horror as the pieces continued to twitch and flop on the ground. Cass grabbed the front of Max's armor and pulled his face down so they were eye to eye. Get in the cart, now! The dwarf bellowed, and he pushed Max away just in time to shatter the shield of another soldier with his hammerhead. Max took three stumbling steps and then dove into the minecart, landing in a heap on top of Wallace. Ah, go off me! Cass! Max said. The remaining soldiers were surrounding the dwarf now, their stone swords pummeling his armor. You go. Ride it to the bottom. Ride it to the House of Silence. Cass called back. Everyone hold on, Corley said, and she leaned over and yanked free the brake lever. The cart immediately began to pick up speed, bulleting down and down into the depths, into the house of silence. The last Max saw, Cass was being swallowed up in the raging tide of stone and darkness. Chapter 7. Words That Once the Gods Forbade Down and down, that was the route. Max's world was nothing more than the grinding of metal wheels on the iron track, the smell of damp cave and raw iron, and the scared faces of his two best friends beside him in the cart. Wallace's wand cast its light, but the bouncing of the mine car made it shaky and wobbly and sinister feeling. Does this ever end? asked Corley, peering into the darkness ahead, the speed pushing back her hair. We must be a mile underground, said Max, struggling and finally succeeding to sheath his sword. We have to be getting close. As it turns out, they were a little too close. Without warning, Wallace's light reveals the sudden end of the track, a cart fully loaded with golden ore sitting squarely in their path. Corley, hit the brake! No time to slow down! Take my hands! Max felt her slim hand slip into his own, and had a moment to be surprised how strong her grip was, and then they were crashing. Their cart slammed into the one on the tracks, sending both screeching onto their sides and smashing into the wall. The rocky ore flew through the air and smashed into the cave walls, and for a moment, the house of silence was filled with noise like it hadn't known for a hundred years. And then, as it always had, the silence returned. After a minute, a gauntleted hand burst through the pile of rubble, the hand found a solid bit of rock and dragged its owner out of the pile. The moment he was free, Max turned and began to dig. After a moment, he found Corley and Wallace. They were battered and bruised, but otherwise fine. How did we survive that? Wallace asked, and then coughed up a mouthful of pebbles. A ward. I've never casted one for three people at once before, but it turns out when you're absolutely terrified, the magic comes a little easier. Ain't that the truth? I had a teacher once. Couldn't conjure up so much as a candle without being afraid. He used to have to hide me in the chambers and jump out at him. Shh, 
said Max, pointing to a rough hole in the wall. It was bigger than Cass had described it. It looked like someone had cleared out more of the rock and smoothed the edges, but there was no mistaking the sickly red light that spilled out. Are you guys ready? Max asked. Corley and Wallace nodded. Lead the way, pal, Wallace said, somehow managing a little grin. Max couldn't help but grin back. It's just an ancient evil night with magical powers. How bad could it be? There was a flash of red light so bright it drove a spike of pain into Max's skull. He thought he screamed, but he wasn't sure. By the time he could think straight again, he was on the ground next to Corley and Wallace, a loose ring of stone soldiers surrounding them. Let them rise, came a voice like broken glass. The soldiers backed off a little, and the trio pulled themselves shaky to their feet. Let me see. The soldiers parted, and there before them, glowing red in the aura of his power, was the silent night. Ernie had been a burly dwarf, and his body was unchanged, but his hair had turned a ghostly white, his eyes blank slates of foggy red. He wore a robe similar to Wallace's, but instead of royal blue, it was colored a deep blood red. Behind him, lighting up the cavern, was the giant ruby on its dark altar. Why have you come? We just wanted to talk, you know? See what it's like living in a giant ruby. That, that kind of thing. The silent knight snarled and raised his hand. Wallace slid forward, nothing but the points of his toes touching the ground, and found himself hanging in the air in front of the dark wizard. No more talk. Only silence. As Max watched, the terrible red light flowed from the silent night to Wallace's mouth, covering it, smothering it. Max and Corley both lunged forward to help, but their arms were grabbed and pinned back by the stone statues. Wallace began to grab at his neck, feet kicking futile in the air. Max, he can't breathe. What do we do? Max racked his brains. What had the lore mother said? The song, the wand, the words that once the gods forbade. Wallace had the wand, and not even the lore mother had known the words, but a song. And Max began to sing, and he sang the only song he knew by heart, not one he learned at the king's court with all its musicians, or one he learned from his friends while passing time on the road, but a song he had learned when he was no more than a boy from a staggering Parlo the Pink. I've got a pony, his name's Baloney, his hooves go clippity-cloppity-clack. Max, what are you doing? Corley hissed, but Max just sang louder. And when you see my pony and me, careful this baloney bites back. The silent night gave a roar of rage. Wallace Q. Wallace fell forgotten to the ground, where he took a big whooping breath of air. No singing. The words seemed to cause the dark wizard immense pain. Corley joined Max, singing all the louder. Wallace scooted backwards on his butt, away from the red aura. Stop! roared the silent knight, ripping a sword from the grip of the nearest stone soldier. He advanced on Corley, his eyes a thundercloud of evil red energy, crimson lightning crackling along his skin. Wallace, I'm stuck! Max cried, struggling uselessly against the stone soldiers holding him still. Wallace rose to his shaky feet and brandished his wand. A green light fought through the red and washed over the soldiers. They flinched for but a moment, but it was enough for Max to pull free. The silent knight stood in front of Corley, still held helpless by the soldiers. He raised the stone sword high in the air and brought it down with all his might. It rang out like a bell. The terrible stroke stopped mid-swing by Max's sword, a bare three inches from Corley's nose. Sing. Sing anything. Corley began to sing a song Max had never heard, something high and sweet and full of promise. 
It was about new dawns and clean linens and pure sweet water. It drove the silent night to agony. Max drove him backwards with a flurry of his sword, slashing high and low and fore and back. The silent night was stronger, older, wiser, but the singing seemed to be hurting him more than any blade ever could. Max was in close now, and the silent knight was still managing to block every blow, so Max pulled out another of Parlo's old tricks. The next time their blades came together, crossed and locked, Max snapped his forehead down into the wizard's nose, hearing the crunch. That broke his concentration enough for Corley to escape the stone soldiers. She ran to Wallace. Give me the witch's wand now! I'll get the ruby, you help Max! Wallace fished the wand out of his robes. Corley, you don't know the words. You need my help. She cut him off. Max needs your help, Wallace. Look. The silent knight had regained his composure, the red energy of his magic spreading out behind him like wings. Max sang again, but the wizard seemed to ignore it now, or he had protected himself from it with some magic. Max didn't know which, but he did know he was in an awful lot of trouble. Wallace, I need you. Wallace pushed the witch's wand into Corley's hand and raised his own. I'm coming, buddy! The silent knight's magic wings beat at the air, and a flurry of red daggers flew at Max. Just before they skewered him, they turned to puffs of smoke and whisked away. No! Yes! said Max, very happy to still be alive. They picked up the fight again, Max darting in with his sword and Wallace deflecting the silent knight's spells as best he could. The three danced back and forth across the cave, lit by the steady glow of the ruby's heart. The stone soldiers were frozen. Whatever magic had been used to bring them to life was now being spent fighting Max and Wallace. Corley knew she only had a moment. She ran to the ruby. It seemed to sing to her, to whisper musically sweet nothings to her. But she was a master cleric, and not so easily guiled. Max slashed at the red glowing foe, but his blows were turned aside. Wallace fired a spell, but it was brushed off contemptuously. It was fast becoming clear that the Silent Knight was a better swordsman than Max and a better wizard than Wallace. In fact, it was becoming clear that he was better than both of them put together. Corley, called Wallace as he turned a tornado of red light into a spring breeze, sweat dripping down his face. We don't want to rush you, but do something! Corley took the witch's wand, whispered a prayer, and laid it on the ruby. Where it touched the stone, the stone began to pulse with light. The silent knight gave a bellow of pain and started for the altar, but Max drove him back with a roaring two-handed swing of his sword. The words! I don't know the words! There came a flutter of wings, strangely loud in the chamber. Corley looked up and saw a black bird against the black stone, diving hard for the ruby. Rungeons! Rungeons! It landed on the altar, regarding Corley with its beady black eyes. Wand! 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 Corley placed the wand in the raven's talon. The bird flapped once, landing on top of the ruby, and then it began to quark softly. It said five words that once the gods forbade, unknown but to witches, and then tapped the stone with the ebony wand. The ruby grew bright as a star on a cloudless night, and then brighter still, so bright that Corley had to look away. The light seemed to reach out, probing, until it found the silent night. It latched onto him, wrapped around him like tendrils, and began to drag him in. The silent knight screamed with rage, and the air around him seemed to catch fire, burning like a dragon's breath. Max pushed Wallace out of the way and took the brunt of the flames, feeling the heat radiate throughout his armor. The dark wizard grabbed at him even as he was being pulled in by the ruby, the red aura of his magic crawling up Max's arms. I have your body. I have a pony. His name's... Baloney! Max sang, and the silent knight cried out in agony, losing his grip. 
The white tendrils of the ruby ripped him across the cave and pulled him into that light, too bright to look upon. There was a terrible ripping noise, and then the light began to fade again, dimmer and dimmer, until there was nothing but the soft glow of the ruby on its pedestal. Careful, Max said to himself, because this baloney bites back. He walked over to the altar and was surprised to see the silent knight sitting at its base. Adrenaline still pumping wildly through his blood, he raised his sword. Wait, Max, wait, look at him. Wallace, give us light. Wallace lit his wand. Max lowered his sword. The dwarf before them had dark hair, a dark beard, and two normal brown eyes. There was no sign of the raven or the wand. Chapter 8. The Short Road Home It's good to see I made it through. I was worried about you kids. Cass was laying in bed, wrapped in bandages from head to toe. Only his great dwarven beard and little eyes showed through. He was one of the worst off, him and Jack. But between the skills of Corley and Mother Winds, all of the dwarves would pull through just fine. We were worried about you, old man, said Wallace. I saw you playing pig pile with those statues. I thought you forgot what side you were on. Cass started to laugh and then groaned. <laughs> no jokes, please. My funny bone hurts. Everything hurts. You come visit us when you're well, okay? But I don't want you out of that bed for at least a month. A month? You expect me to lay here for a month? I do, but don't worry. Mother Winds is going to stay and make sure you get well. The mother poked her head into the room and flashed a smile, her freckles scrunching. Well... Maybe a month won't be so bad. An hour later, they were all packed up. The dwarves made sure they had plenty of food for their ride back to Northend, and they even gave Wallace a beautiful chest of carved stone. The lid was slightly askew from loading it onto the horse, and a red light was shining through. Uh, Wallace, said Max. The ruby. Oops, said Wallace, settling the heavy cover back in place. My mother always said to be more careful with my magical artifacts. Did she really? Well, no. She told me to clean my room, but it's pretty much the same thing. Corley rolled her eyes. Can't you take anything serious? I take you guys serious, Wallace protested. I think we're just about the best team in Northend. A basilisk and the Silent Knight? Wait until the king hears about this. They waved their goodbyes and started east, towards High Mendwell and the king's castle of Northend. I guess we are pretty good. I still can't believe we fought the Silent Knight. Did you see me? I was all like, ha, 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 ha. He slashed at the air. You were very brave, said Corley. You were too. You saved us from the minecart, and you and the raven trapped him back in the ruby. You too, Wallace, said Wallace. The way you turned those magic daggers into smoke and saved Max's ungrateful life. Wow! They all laughed. Max leaned over in the saddle and caught Wallace in a rough hug. You know I love you, buddy. Yeah, yeah, get off. Your armor smells like an old dog. How about a traveling song? Asked Corley. I know a great goblin tune, said Wallace. Uh, I'll pass. How about you, Max? Max cleared his throat. I've got a pony. His name's Baloney. His hooves go kippity-cloppity-clack. The end.